This is Kevin J. Anderson. Hi, this is John Delancey, and you are very lucky to be listening to Sci-Fi Talk. This is Terry Goodkind, number one New York Times bestselling author of the Sword of Truth series. This is Joseph Malati, former executive producer and writer on Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, Stargate Universe, presently writer on Dark Matter. Hello, this is David Franklin, Lieutenant, sorry, Captain Bracker from Farscape. I'm Robert J. Sawyer, the Hugo Award-winning author of Flash Forward and WWW Wake. Hi, this is Jamie Bamber. Hey, this is Katie Sackoff. Hi, I'm Tom O'Panikin. I play Hilo on the hit television series Battlestar Galactica. And uh, you're listening to Sci-Fi Talk. Scene one, Apple take two. This is John Billingsley. I play Dr. Flocks on Enterprise. You are listening to the wonderful Sci-Fi Talk. I heartily endorse your attendance as a listener forever. Thank you. Hi, this is Tony Tolato. Welcome to the Strange Season 2 special. And this is Part 1 with interviews from the roundtables at San Diego Comic-Con. And first up is Corey Stahl, who is the former CDC scientist Ephraim Goodweather. Well, we're starting off pretty much right where we ended up. You know, the whole first season was sort of gearing towards killing the master was going to end the, 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 the plague, and, and uh, we were following Satrakian's lead on how to defeat the, the Strigoi, and uh, we get him in front of the sunlight, and he doesn't die. So we're sort of starting at square one. Um, you know, all throughout the first season, the the outbreak of the strain was happening in these little pockets. You know, it almost seemed like most of New York wasn't really aware of it. And now it's, it's very public and it's very clearly uh, society can't really function uh, at this point. And uh, so it's, it's definitely breaking down and we're getting into sort of post-apocalyptic uh, territory. Our, our family unit has, has become very complex um, now, with, uh, now with Kelly turned Zach in denial about the irreversibility of that. Uh, that that creates a lot of strain between the a lot of uh, friction between the two the, the, the two of us, and he's you know getting to be that age where you know sons are starting to rebel and and uh, and so I think a lot in the first season he was sort of this precious commodity to protect, and now uh, he's he's a has sort of a will of his own and and is not necessarily on. On our team, and 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 gets us in trouble, and and even adds to the sort of level of danger. So uh, so that's been a sort of a fun a fun thing to play. That not you know not necessarily just a sweet father son relationship anymore. You seem to be drawn to characters that have flaws, major flaws. Is that is there something that draws you to them to play them? Why would you want to play somebody who doesn't have any flaws? I don't. It, just, it seems more interesting. Um, I pride myself in not being a, a, a puritan and, uh, and try not to sort of moralize uh, or, or sort of editorialize on, on my characters. And, and it's the, the more contradictions you can find in a character, I think, the more the more interesting it is for yourself. Ruda Gedmintas is hacker Dutch Velders, who originally brought down the internet, working for the Master, but is now on Team Goodweather. I like that she's found a bit of sense of self with this group, um, that she feels that she can be a little bit more cheeky, a little bit more humorous, um, 
and she she's a little bit more connected with all of them so she can she feels a sense of trust with them so that's been that's been fun to experience. I asked her if there was a possibility of something happening between Vasily and Dutch, as we saw in the first few episodes. Did you see the skinny bit? There is, there is definite exploration in that direction. Um, how far or what happens, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> uh, she's definitely starting to find her place. I think one of the lovely things about Dutch is that... Um, <laughs> lovely, uh, is that she finds this fight actually exciting. To the other characters, it's it's the end of the world, but to her, she's finally got a purpose, and she's got a, a bunch of friends and people that kind of need her. Even though she, she caused the problems initially, she's found her purpose. I think uh, due to Dutch's nature of being just a, a, a little bit spunky, there's always a little bit of tension, <laughs> but... Um, I think they kind of find her endearing and see her qualities more than her disadvantages, maybe, is a word to say. Every character has their own goal in this season and their way of achieving it is different. So we're all together as a unit, but then um, we have our own talents and our own ways of combating that. And uh, one of the ways, uh, certainly for FET, is um, to slowly take back ownership of, of his area to begin with and may, and beyond. So that's that's his tactic at the beginning. We'll see if that works. <laughs> um, well, I, I, ha I don't have much one-on-one -on -one contact with Guillermo because he doesn't direct on set. But when he comes onto set and when he he gives you his, his bit of advice, um, it's amazing because he's such a fun character and he's got such a, a kid-like uh, quality to him where you just see his enjoyment and if something's working he's just like a bundle of energy and um, it's inspiring to work with someone who for years I've just looked at and gone wow your mind is incredible so I feel very lucky to be part of it. Veteran producer Carlton Coos is one of the showrunners and executive producers. I'm a busy man I know I uh... I, I don't take it for granted, though. I consider myself to be very grateful that I'm able to, uh, you know, get to tell these stories and that people seem to like them and people care enough to ask questions about them. And so I'm, that makes me happy, honestly. Season one was really about people trying to kind of come. There was an epidemiological crisis that turns into this vampire apocalypse. And most people were like, oh, wait, people are turning into vampires? So we've gone from denial and disbelief into acceptance. And then by the end, by the beginning of season two, most people accept, yeah, there are these vampires here. So the question of season two is, what are we gonna do about it? And it's really about all of the characters, each in their own way, kind of trying to confront, how are we gonna stop the spread of this vampire plague? So like Corey Stoll and Mia Maestro's characters, basically as epidemiologists try to engineer a way to wipe out the vampires. Satrakian is looking for the Osita Lumen, this mysterious book that may or may not hold the answers to how to wipe out the master. Uh, Gus and Fat are just trying to kill as many vampires as possible. You know, so the show is really much more, uh, you know, the motto for the season of sort of fight or die is very apt, I think. And Samantha Mathis is a, very, is a new character, who's a councilwoman from Staten Island who basically sort of suspends traditional civil liberties as, and decides to wipe the vampires out of Staten Island and, and, and succeeds in doing that. So then the question is, 
do you want to put someone like that in charge? Someone who may guarantee your safety, but at the cost of sort of some of the intrinsic basic elements of a democratic society that we all, you know, value. So what, what kind of trade-offs there? The feelers are basically uh, blind children that have been turned into these super speedy, really horrific vampire creatures. And they're awesome. And they were, you know, they're a creation of Guillermo and Chuck's from the book. And we sort of decided this was a great way to ramp up the you know, force of opposition in season two. I mean, one of the things I love about the, the books that drew me to the project is there's sort of multiple layers of antagonism. You know, in The Walking Dead, you've got one kind of zombie. In our show, we have all sorts of different types of vampires with different agendas and different powers. And that's super fun as a writer to have all those tools in the tool chest. We will learn a lot more about the ancients. Uh, there's obviously Mr. Qu there's Mr. Quinlan, who is uh, a um, uh, another mythic creature who also very much comes into play. So yes, there's a lot more. There, the, we we expand out our knowledge of the vampire side of things um, significantly in season two. Yes, sir. Yeah. The 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 second season is really the first half of the second book, but. It's 80% invented. I mean, the show follows some very basic, um, the, the sort of fundamental narrative, but as I said, literally 80% of the story, including characters like uh, Justine, played by Samantha Mathis, or the Dutch character, they don't even exist in the books. And the, and the fate and the outcomes and the proportion of time we spend with the characters is vastly different, which I think is great. I think we've taken, I think the, it's the right thing to do, take these, you know, make the make the version for television that's our own. So it's 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 generally connected to the books and relies on the wonderful base that the books provides the storytelling. But it's it's a lot of really it's a lot of cool original story. Each character has their own arc, and they you know it's, and they overlap. You know, the characters are all really the most of the characters are are living at Fett's place, and so they 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 have different pursuits, but they kind of come back together, and they they all sort of remain a bit of a team, but. You know, the, the the characters have their own agendas, and they're they're approaching trying to solve this vampire crisis each in their own way. And the so it's, the show's a little bit more of a mosaic than a single narrative. Thank you, guys. Thank you. There is more of my look at the strain. Just want to remind you about the Geek Initiative. I've added pictures from the San Diego Comic Con floor, in addition to pictures from the Walking Dead exhibit there, and also pictures from the Fear the Walking Dead party that I attended. It's only $1.99, and you can join at connectpal.com slash geekinitiative. Miguel Gomez is Agustin, also known as Gus, whose character now has a new role in the series. I think it's a beautiful thing. You know, I think it's, it's great that they showed a guy that comes from, from tough environments, from the streets, from the hood, from the ghetto, and they show him that, that he's actually trying to do right and is not just going to be a victim of his circumstances, you know? He loves his mother very much, you know, and, and, and his driving forces, you know, I want to do the right thing for my mom, for my family. I want to get us out of this environment in the best way that I can, you know, because he doesn't have all the tools around him to be able to do it. So for them to show that side of him and for them to um, take that from him, I think makes it even a deeper level of wanting to do the right thing and redeem his mom and redeem his family and revenge and anger and love and sadness and you see this guy that's, that's going through all this sort of stuff and that has integrity, you know? I think so anyway. Um, 
think it's 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 really great for 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 the character for the show and, and for season two. It gives them somewhere to go. You know? And it's good it's good that people see another side so that they don't just judge a book by its cover. You see them right away, and you you might have a certain opinion of them because of what other films or other portrayals of this sort of character is. But if you give them a chance, you, you might find something that's really good there. You know? So I think that's what's the most. What, what I've taken away from the character the most. He seems to just keep missing the team in season one. Will he meet up and possibly join them in the second season? They definitely cross in season two. You know, they, they finally they finally start to meet each other. Um, and yeah, I'm pulling for that too. You know, I I think he can offer the team a, a lot. You know, with the with the training that he has growing up. You know, in the streets, in the streets, you can we, basically in the street. You can die at any moment, just like just like the weather, just like what's happening now. You know, these vampires and these bloodsuckers and all that, they exist right now in the street. You know, like you can go outside and, and somebody can just take your life or, and you gotta sort of have, be trained for that. And it's sort of his the shaved head, the tattoos, it's just battle armor. It's just a defense mechanism, you know? So he, he knows that very well. And I think he can help the, the, the team as far as what steps to take, what steps not to take. You know, and, and I think even deeper than that, he's just a person just trying to do the right thing. Flawed, makes a lot of mistakes, but he's trying to do the right thing and he's not going to give up until he redeems his mistake. You know? He's got a lot of heart. I think so. I think so. I think it's important. I think his driving force is, is, is love. You know? And if your driving force is love, you know, you can go a long way. I think he has like a... A very low tolerance for bullshit. You know, like, if, know. it's really not what you say to me. It's really what's happening, what's going on. Are you doing this or you're not? To him, it's like either yes or no, either fight or die, you know? So I think that helps, though, you know, instead of having to, like, okay, and, and question it and this, that, and no. Are you down or are you not down, you know? Are we, are we going or are we not going? I think that's his approach. He's either all in or, you know, so he has one goal. And if you can help him get, achieve that goal, he's gonna ride with you. If you're not, you know what I mean? I, thank you, guys. Thanks so much. Chuck Hogan, the co-writer of the novels with Guillermo del Toro, and also wrote some of the episodes in season one, talks about his involvement this season. No, I've been uh, fully involved. Um, it's been great. We, you know, we learned a lot for a season. We really did. I mean, everyone did. Writing crew, um, and I feel like we've really step things up, you know, season two. Um, so it's been fun. It's been fun to watch the show evolve from the inside. Uh, and I think it'll show on the outside, you know, for, for when people start watching. You know, season one was so much about uh, the evolving mystery and what's going on and, and, you know, how do these creatures get here. I feel like season two, the people of New York are aware that there's a threat. They're aware of it, so they're able to react, you know, and uh, interact with them in very different ways. So, um, so it's less... What's been great for us writing-wise, less exposition, because the story's out there, and now we can really play in the space that we created season one. New things? Um, I think the biggest new thing is probably, again, you, uh, uh, you know, people are aware that, that there is a threat and they're, and they're trying to hold it off, so this um, city councilwoman in Staten Island. Staten Island, because of its geography, it's an island, it's, covered, you know, by, uh, it's surrounded by, by water, so they're able to 
clear out the uh, vampires from there. And she kind of rises to prominence within New York City because of her success in defeating the uh, vampires. Is a character who wasn't in the book at all. It really grew out of out of us, you know, thinking big picture what we needed for season two and how to sort of personify New Yorkers' response to of this plague. But seeing them on screen is much different. Uh, they're called the feelers. They're uh, children who were, uh, who were blind. They could turn by the, by the master. And so they have this sort of extra sensory and they're extra uh, quick. So they're very um, slinky, very scary, uh, creepy, um, strigoi, special strigoi that F's wife, um, uh, you know, Kelly turned vampire. They sort of come under her wing, almost like her children in a very creepy way. We, I mean, it's so much fun for us to be able to go back and forth in time. I mean, that is really sort of his creation story there. But, um, but yeah, we will see. Uh, we will go back in time. I'm trying to think without giving too much away. We will. Yeah, we will see other things. Not necessarily focused on him, but he's in it, and there's another character who um, reacts with him uh, in the past. Um, not quite an ancient, but another uh, very interesting, very different uh, vampire. Natalie Brown plays Kelly Goodweather, who is now the vampire mother to the children of the night, you could say. But her son, Zach, is still very much on her mind. It's the custody battle that never ends. <laughs> it's still a fight for Zach and over what Kelly thinks is best for Zach versus what F thinks is best. I mean, I'm not out to harm him. I'm out to turn him. I'm out to connect in the only new way that Kelly knows how to connect. And it's painful to not be with this with the person that you love and connect with the most. So there's this huge void and, and sympathy that I have for Kelly. And uh, she'll stop at nothing to get him back. In the beginning, Kelly's very singular in her focus. You know, the master has let her out on a fairly long leash to do her bidding and in turn his own. But she's, a, she's more free-thinking, higher functioning, more upright, less twitchy, a bit more of a mature vampire, if you will. And as the season progresses, her emotional palette does expand. You have access to your memories. And the master can do as he sees fit, but by allowing that, I think, allows you more access to act out his wishes. The best part, and it was primarily my experience in season two, I had such an amazing time working with these young performers who are so physically gifted and really let me off the hook. So I'm not nearly as nimble. And a lot of the vamps scurry around on all fours and it wasn't my forte, so I get to sort of stand there and have them do my bidding. But it's a new family for Kelly and uh, it's a surrogate family. I just can't wait to see. I mean, I said it's a bit more of like a National Geographic take on Mama Bear and her cubs. <laughs> She feels a connection to them. I mean, they're, they're very connected. They were given to her, and they're special to her. They're, there's a special bond and a connection, but ultimately, we all have the same goal. Because as you watch the show, you become a fan, and I'm so enamored with the other characters, and there was a lot more intersecting of different characters this season, some of my favorites. And I was very lucky to be able to work with Corey Stoll in season one, but it was nice to also be able to play with some of my other beloved characters in the show, so uh, some new alliances are formed, and lines are blurred. Even seeing the, the screener for the first episode, I'm like, how did I get here? <laughs> I can't believe this is what I get to do for a living, and to be able to bring something out of Guillermo del Toro's imagination to life is a dream or nightmare come true. Yeah. yeah.
Thank you, guys. Cheers. Enjoy the rest of your con. Jonathan Hyde is once again the billionaire now turned partial vampire, Eldridge Palmer. Well, I've got my health. That's the big. That that was the the great leap forward, as Chairman Mao said. Um, you know that 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 once you, uh, it it's the most valuable resource we have, isn't it? Our health. And if you've got it, then 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 to think that an 86-year-old guy who's never been healthy, not a day in his life, when he hasn't been in pain, all of a sudden he's uh, he's 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 got strength through that woman over the over the. He's got vigor as well. Bigger. So, you know, I've got cautious there, but, um, you know, it's, that's, that's, that's uh, a real game changer for him. And he discovers his humanity to some degree. So, in fact, he's, I think he's more con conflicted because of that. So, in a funny sort of way, his progress towards the inexorable um, is, more, is slightly more, more difficult. The resistance is, is something that he can cope with fairly effortlessly. Um, no, he's just extending um, extending his reach a little more, as per the agenda of the, of the whole diabolical um, plot. I mean, he, he, he has to be very charitable in a broader sense to members of the public, to help them out of a difficult situation. He comes across as a patriot, you know. Certainly, regards himself as as a, as, as an, a sort of an equal to the master, and it wouldn't be beyond the bounds of possibility that that, given the right circumstances, once he's been turned, that he would he would uh, occupy the the big seat, as it were. I I don't think he would entertain too many thoughts that 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 he would remain to, sitting on the right hand of the master. I think he probably wanted get him off that chair that's corporate thinking isn't it I mean it's it's lethal and toxic God knows look at look at the world around us look what they're doing to Greece thank you very much it's his humanity is the thing that that occupies him most I think in the season that's as much as I can say on that by the way did you know that the Hearsts were thinking in in the at the turn of the century buying Mexico I thought they might just buy the whole place, buy the whole country. I thought, gosh, that's, that's, that's in a funny sort of way, that's Palmer too. I think he could comfortably buy a country or two. In terms of, when you talk about action, there is action, but it not, it's not what I'd call an action sequence as such. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, he, he gets more involved. He does get more involved. But, but essentially, the penthouse is the best place to be when things are going silly on the street, you know. Once, once Fitzwilliam had shown his true colors, the, the son of a bitch he really was, the turncoat, the, the, the treacherous, you know, ungrateful, you know, uh, just out, gone. It, it absolutely, absolutely shredded from my memory. Never give him another thought. He's dead to me. Um, and he hires a new assistant. Well, he's not going to do it. He's not going to answer the door himself. That's for sure. Yeah. No. All right, I got to see you away. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank All you right. so much. Good. Thanks. Cheers. One of my favorite actors on the show, Kevin Durant, is Vasily Fett, the rat catcher turned hero. 
you know, he's sharing his his abode with all these people, and he's a lone wolf, and he's kind of like <laughs> he's a really meticulous guy, and um, and uh, you know he's a little bit uncomfortable, and we're seeing a bunch of different uh, colors in his spectrum this year. Um, but even within all of that, he he has developed a lot of feelings for these people, and, and and he's pragmatic and realizes that without them, you know, uh, chances are slimmer. With them, we might have a winner. Yeah, the the, the relationship with Abraham definitely evolves uh, a lot in the second season. Of, and between David and I, we were just talking about it over there. We, we kind of become like family, so kind of. I think it translates on screen, and, and uh, um, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of really interesting connections. I mean, even even uh, even between F and Vasily, like there's a couple of moments where they 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 understand this situation now. Everyone understands that um, that we're all we got. Um, so you know, the Annie's been put up a bit, and and we all want everyone to survive. You know, but. I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll soon find out. I I, th I think if you had, if you had read the books, you know he always had these journals where he would talk about um, how he was like <laughs> not quite like this, but he was like a flower flourishing within the apocalypse because he all of these skills, all of this uh, meticulous attention to detail, he knows everything about NYC above ground and underground. He knows everything about how, how uh, rats populate the city, how, how we kill them, and how he, he, knows, he knows such a, a, an enormous amount of information that generally didn't come in handy. And now that everything is John absolutely to crap, uh, he realizes that he has a, a true value in this apocalypse. And uh, gives him a little bit more swag. Girls are paying a little bit more attention. You know, the type of woman that might not have paid attention back in the day because he was a, a rat catcher. And uh, as we saw in the first season, people were kind of talking down to him a lot of the time. And little did they know that he was actually like a, quite a scholarly fella. And, and um, um, so, yeah, he's, uh, he's stepping up. Yeah, and he's feeling good. Guillermo has been having feverish nightmares about these monsters his entire life, you know? and uh, we get to be the benefactors of, of this world, this mythology that he has been developing uh, for decades and decades, you know, so that's why it feels so full and so rich and all I have to do is show up and grow goatee and and uh, and uh, you know say my lines and so he 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 makes it very easy you know and, and built a team around him that's just filled with um, a bunch of people that, that that make it easy for us to do so. You know? It's it's interesting because um, you know a lot of that kind of pours over and to subtract in because you, know, you had a father that just really didn't respect what he was interested in and, and was trying to drive him down a certain direction that I mean part of it he was rebelling against him but I, I don't I don't know I don't, I don't think that they um, 
ever ever saw eye to eye. Maybe maybe when he was a young boy, but uh, now he he gets it with Satrakian, and and uh, I get to learn from from an elder, a new mentor. And, um, it's uh, it's a really nice uh, nice touch. You know? But what I can say is, you know, the relationships, all the relationships, were so fresh when you think of how many days there was very few days that had passed by the end of the season so um you know all of the relationships kind of have have stepped up a notch some people like a bunch of notches um <laughs> yeah yeah that's going to be interesting for everybody to see a lot of that stuff um it, you kind of it forces him to kind of open things up that maybe he never even knew he had and uh exciting and it's uncomfortable yeah fun to play <laughs> here's his comments on the relationship between Vasily and Dutch yeah I think it's the first time that he had ever looked into a woman's eyes and saw his own reflection uh, so it, <laughs> it throws him a little off and it's it's um it's both exciting and kind of terrifying for him you know always kind of in control and she's very strong and um very fun very fun to play well you know what i I have read all the books but um i don't really feel any comfort in that because i don't know if you've talked to carlton yet have you talked to carlton yet so it's like Back in the day, he said it's 72% fictional. Now other people say, no, he says it's 81% fictional. What I mean fictional, I mean like a a, a take off of the uh, original skeleton of the book. You know, now we're we're adding a whole lot of different muscles and arteries and and blood and skin. And and, and, uh, so even though the structure is similar, a lot of stuff changes within it. So that could be anything characters will come and go, you know, and who, 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 who knows who's going. Yeah. Well, the books informed me a lot, a, a lot, uh, because in, in the graphic novels, he's very, very stoic, um, and uh, in the books, he was described as that as well, but it was in his journals that he talked about this flourishing, so because I don't have the journals, I thought I would just play the flourishing, which is way more fun. As opposed to being like, oh man, those vampires, gosh, this sucks, you know. It's like, all right, these vampires, let's fucking let's kill some of these mobiles. How do I kill these things? Oh, this is fun, all right, you know. So he's having a good time. Yeah. What I also like is uh, when, he, when he had to, like, kind of do the rat killing thing in the rich person's apartment, it was like, he didn't, it was like, I don't think you're, I don't care how much money you have, you have a rat problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's a kind of rebellious attitude. And it's very like you're not better than me. Yeah. You know, I know more about your place than you do. Yeah. You know? and he did, and um, he has a lot of that. Yeah, and it comes from his pop too, right? And so, uh, so stepping into the world or in, into the new world now, he's uh, he almost feels like a, a different man. He's he's. I think there's a part of him that hopes that his father's still alive so he can see how great he is or how great he's becoming yeah thank you so much thank you I appreciate it thank you thank you
Time for me to go. I have to leave you. Yes. I'll miss you. Have a great rest of your con, and, and uh, we'll see you around. Enjoy the show. And that is part one of my look at The Strain. Special thanks to FX and San Diego Comic-Con. Look for The Strain on Sunday nights on that network, FX. Check your local listings. This is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Greg Grunberg, the mind-reading cop on Heroes. Yes, I know what you're thinking. I, too, listen to Sci-Fi Talk. And you and I are doing that right now. I can only control you to a certain extent. Continue listening. You're going to love it. Sci-Fi Talk with me, Greg Grunberg from Heroes.